Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Crisis Management. I'm Alicia Sikirska. This is a show dedicated to helping businesses navigate their way through the coronavirus pandemic. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Shopify's latest earnings, what's happening with commercial real estate, and we're also going to take a deep dive into advertising and marketing and what businesses should be doing when it comes to marketing through the coronavirus pandemic. Now, these are some big topics to talk about, and so I am once again joined by Mark Satov. He is the founder of Satov Consultants and a business strategy expert that's going to help us find ideas and solutions for businesses that are dealing with the pandemic. Mark, welcome back to the show. We've got another busy day. There's lots of news happening. Uh, Just got an update on Ontario's school situation. Lots going on today. It is a big day, and I was uh, very much looking forward to the announcements, being a business person, but also a parent, and so lots to talk about today. Yeah, so why don't we start there and talk about the reopening that is happening in Ontario. Um, Toronto and Peel Region are going to be joining uh, most of the rest of the province um, when it comes to stage three, which means that gyms... uh, dining rooms, uh, restaurants, and as well as uh, recreational facilities, a whole list of places are going to be able to open their doors to the public as of Friday. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the Ontario government has announced its plan for the school reopening in September. Um, A few of those details I can quickly provide here. Elementary school students will attend school five days a week. Uh, Secondary schools will have class cohorts of 15 students alternating days. Masks are going to be mandatory for students in grade 4 through 12, and there's also $309 million in funding towards this reopening, and that includes things like $60 million towards masks and PPE, cleaning supplies, all sorts of things. Um, We've talked a lot about reopening on this show, what it means for businesses, and so I'm wondering, what do you think? What is going to make, um, have the biggest impact when it comes to the recovery in Ontario? I think it will be very interesting to watch who opts in and opts out of stage three. And when I say that, I don't even so much mean the businesses because I think businesses don't have much choice. If you own a restaurant and you have been serving people on the patio uh, or if you didn't have a patio, you've been waiting, you're going to open now. And so you don't have a choice. Uh, You may uh, take different measures than someone else to keep people safe, but you are going to open. I think it'll be interesting to see how the consumers decide to opt in. You see some people uh, in social media talking about the fact that, you know, I can wait to dine indoors. I can wait to do certain things. I can tell you personally, as one example, now it's the summer, uh, I can wait to dine inside a restaurant. I'm not dying to do that. Uh, I have been back at my tennis club and gym, as we've talked about uh, on the show for some reason. And uh, I can wait to take a shower uh, at the club. I can just come home and shower. And so there are certain things that I actually am not opting in for as a consumer. And I do think it'll be interesting to watch who opts in as a consumer, and that will be different by age segment. So for instance, you know, I have said, I don't need gyms and bars to be opened, 
I want to direct all that energy towards opening schools safely. That's because I'm a different uh, age than people who maybe go to bars often. I have kids and I'm worried about that. And so again, it'll be interesting to see how many people think like me and are, I'll say, you know, voting with their wallet, right? Yeah. And I do think that was uh, when there was talk of stage three in the early days, that was immediately what a lot of people had said was, okay, so we're focusing on bars and restaurants right now. What about my kids? What are they going to be doing come September? I think people were really waiting um, for today's announcement. Um, do you think that the knowing, having some certainty about the school year, is that going to help businesses as they go forward? It, it absolutely will because it uh, it colors so much of business. So one is, you know, if I'm a worker, uh, as many people are, will I be able to go back to work, right? And if you're two, if you're if they're your two income family, uh, will we both be able to get back to work? How does that uh, impact my income security and just and just a general feeling? I could tell you that you know in my house as the summer goes on and on, there's just a greater feeling of chaos because we've been at this for so long. Uh, you know, our kids are going crazy. We're going crazy. Uh, you know, we'll make it. But, you know, I can tell you that if the announcement came today that uh, schools were not going to reopen, that they've changed their mind, uh, I could just imagine like the look that my wife and I would have when we're looking at each other talking about this and I'm thinking, how is our fall going to go uh, if that's the case? And so I think there's a very direct impact if you're working, there's, a, there's an impact if you own a business, will your workers be able to get back? And then a general feeling of life getting back to normal, despite the risk a general feeling of life getting back to normal, which I just think impacts everybody. One thing I've said is, you know, every time I'll say, I'll say in my family, every time my wife and I talk about going back to school and we've had some decisions to make around which school to send our kids to based on the decisions. Every time we talk about it, we say, well, there's a decision that they're making now. There's still a lot that can change. Right. And so mm -hmm. we all know that if there is an upsurge in cases, up to a certain point, I think we could and should tolerate it. But beyond that point, they may make a different decision. And so, yeah. listen, it's better. The announcement today was better than a negative announcement. And it gives us definite confidence. It just doesn't give us full confidence. Yeah. And I mean, we've been talking about it so much on this show, preparing for that second wave, potential second wave. And um, but I, I do think that at least having some kind of idea of what the plan is, given that we're approaching August now, um, is definitely a relief for a lot of parents, for sure, for <laughs> to sure. say the very least. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to Shopify. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've talked about them. So we're due, I think. Uh, it reported earnings yesterday, sales in the third quarter nearly doubled uh, from 362 million last year to 714 million as businesses quickly turned to e-commerce through the coronavirus pandemic. Not really a surprise there. Um, they posted a profit of 36 million compared to a loss last year. I believe this is the second time that Shopify has actually reported a profit. Um, unsurprisingly, its stock surged yesterday, closing around the $1,400 mark. Uh, I mentioned the actual amount because I looked it up and in January, um, they were trading at, it was trading at $530. So it's been quite the year for Shopify. Um, Mark, what what's your biggest takeaway from these results? You know, I like to uh, say things publicly and then go back on a few months later and say, you see, I was right. Uh, and that often happens. I don't know if it happens more often than the reverse, but here I was wrong. 
And uh, I have to admit it because this company continues to defy uh, what I think is realistic and they continue to exceed my expectations. And so I'm gonna separate it between what they're actually doing in their operating results and then the stock market, which is uh, obviously related, but still separate. So I think they're doing great on their operating results. I think they continue to grow subscribers. I think they are developing partnerships in the value chain, which is really important. And so uh, as a reminder for our viewers, uh, Shopify really provides technology and enables merchants to go online. They don't really provide a marketplace. That's what Amazon does. And now Walmart does and eBay, if we go back to the original uh, marketplace. And we're not really seeing a lot of vertical integration, meaning we're not really seeing uh, them becoming big in a marketplace or Amazon saying, we're going to do all the enabling. There's some overlap where they both may provide logistic services. So just you know, comparing Shopify and Amazon, uh, but they're actually partnering. And Amazon is actually saying, we are going to, I think there's one service where they said, you know, we're not doing it anymore, use Shopify for this. So I think that's a great sign. I think they're operating well. I think they are definitely experiencing the benefit of the pandemic uh, for online shopping. And here's where uh, I wanna talk then about the stock market. My clientele, as I talk about all the time, are private equity funds. Most of my business comes from there, or more than half of my business. When they buy businesses, now or other times, they spend a lot of time looking at what is a normalized or a, an expected future income stream. They're very smart. They do their homework. They really... So if they were looking at a business like Shopify today, they would not pay $1,400 for it. <laughs> because they would say, well, wait a second, I want somebody, you know, they may be hire my firm or someone else. I want somebody to give me a deep evaluation of how much of the blip uh, is a blip versus actually an uptick in, in trend. The stock market, the public markets, uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't use a derogatory term. Let's just say they're not as smart as private equity uh, investors. Uh, and if we need any more proof, we could look at Tesla, we could look at Kodak, we could look at Hertz. And the reason that the public markets are not as smart as the private markets is that, first of all, they're fueled by a consumerist view. So we have individuals who know that Shopify is doing well and they say, oh, well, the stock market you know, should reflect that. And then you have, and you may get mail, I may get mail for this. Wealth managers who advise the mass affluent and no offense, wealth managers are not very sophisticated. Like you talk to your average broker, they really don't know much about much. And so they are actually giving advice and they see the same things the consumers view and say, this is a company you should be invested in. And the surprising part is the institutional investor should be savvy enough to look and say, wait a second, Shopify is doing great. And I applaud them. And again, I am applauding them operationally. I'm not sure we can expect them to continue to do this great forever. It's gone. Like yeah. This, so do you think that's their biggest down. challenge now? Do you think For that's sure. their biggest challenge now is, sure. is um, having this, these results and the profits that they are having uh, outside of a pandemic, which has been seen this really exceptional shift to e-commerce that we've never seen before. Yeah. I think, it, I think the challenge is, managing expectations for both themselves and their investors. So when I say for themselves, I mean, they need to look at their $715 million quarterly revenue and say, okay, does this mean that we are now accelerating all our investment uh, because we are now expecting this? 
uh, or does this mean we were at 350, uh, we've gone up to 720. Well, actually, we should probably expect five or 600 on the concern on the aggressive side, I should say, we cannot expect 700. And all startups, and they've been around a while now, but all tech uh, startups do eventually have to make a profit. All right. And <laughs> it always is surprising how long the investment world, both private and public, lets them go without making a profit. But yeah, eventually... I feel like you should have a conversation with Uber over here. <laughs> uh, well, but that's, right? the, but that's the whole point. Right. And I've yeah. said that in, in many instances, you know, yeah. Silicon Valley allows Uber to continue to actually disrupt the market in a way that's not helpful because they provide things way below cost and they just they just keep uh, fueling that. And so there yeah. will come a reckoning. There will come a time where people will say, sorry, Shopify, it's time to be a bit more mature. I don't mean they're immature. I mean, their, their, their product is maturing and act like a more mature company and therefore turn a profit. So the question is, where yeah, well, we'll see where they, they go from here. It was still, um, we're ending on a little bit of a sour note, but still a great quarter for them. Yeah, how do you, how do you um, but, turn that into bad news, right? When they're doing so well, leave it to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we are in the middle of earnings seasons and I do want to touch upon uh, Rio can, which reported earnings yesterday. That's obviously they're in, um, a commercial real estate company. They reported a loss of 350.8 million. Um, unsurprising as it was dealing with uh, deferrals and offering deferrals to tenants as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it, they did manage to collect about 85% of rent for the month of July. So it does appear that things are improving. I thought this was a particularly interesting uh, company to talk about because this weekend, the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program, uh, it's coming to an end. It wraps up at the end of July. And a lot of groups have been calling for that to be extended. Um, and Rio Can CEO made some comments on the call yesterday. He said the program was extremely complex. They had a team of about 25 people trying to deal with it. And it took two months just to put together information to apply for this program because they had to get tenants to sign attestations about their sales to, to be able to qualify for it. He called it a, quote, painful, painful process. Um, so lots to unpack here. But just looking at commercial real estate, what's your takeaway here from these results? Okay, so thank goodness this came up because I just had to admit that I was wrong about Shopify. Uh, I was so, <laughs> so right about this this program. It was terribly constructed. It was not helpful. And uh, Ed Sunshine, a much, much bigger business brain than I will ever be, agrees with me because he's right <laughs> in the thick of it. And he sees, and if you actually read, I did read the detail of the quote, he, it sounds like he would have been happy to participate in the program for people who qualified. And the way he was saying it is an issue is that he couldn't actually provide it for his tenants, even though he might have wanted to. And um, I don't know him personally, but I know lots of people who know him. I, I think he has a reputation of being uh, a decent guy with his tenants. And I actually think he was genuine. Uh, and so what's interesting is that it was so complex that he couldn't even find a way to help out his tenants. And by the way, because of what they did uh, in terms of moving their portfolio from, I'll say, more uh, discretionary to more staples in terms of the retailers in there, he actually could have afforded to do it because he didn't have that many people who needed it. Uh, I cannot go on record but uh, by giving you a, a quote from somebody, but I will just say that one of the major mall operators in this country, and there are only a few, 
told me that their uh, rent collection was way, way, way below what Mr. Sunshine quoted uh, for Rio Can. And I think we've talked about the fact that most of them were reported unofficially to be below 50%. And so the fact that he mm-hmm. was up there without the program is actually a sign of the fact that they've done a good job. Some of it is luck, of course. You, you do a strategy that it happens to turn out to be even better than you thought. Um, they have the right tenants for this time. Uh, and they will be just fine. By the way, they've lost 350 as opposed to making two something. So that's a, a delta of, you know, in the high 500s. A lot of that, or just over 600, a lot of that is actually writing down their properties as opposed to the operating loss. Because uh, there was, I think, uh, I, I'll get the number wrong, a $572 million charge uh, that they took to impair the value based on uh, expected future receipts. So it wasn't even, mm-hmm. it wasn't even a, a direct hit. So I, I think, I think there's nothing but good news there. I think they've, uh, I think they've come through it very well for now. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like they have the right properties, the right mix of properties for this time, and aren't as heavily invested in those that are struggling and and might not fully recover after this pandemic. Okay, Mark, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get your advice and dig into some of the issues that businesses are dealing with. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, but Mark, let's move on to the next segment of the show where we dig into some of the issues that businesses are facing and get your ideas for the fix. I want to start by talking about an, a specific line item that is on many companies' budgets, and that's marketing and advertising. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic has forced many companies to drastically reduce costs. And for many companies, that means reducing their marketing budget. Um, ad spending is down across just about every category. A recent survey from Influencer Marketing found that 69% of brands expect they will decrease their ad spend as a result of the pandemic. Um, Research firm Forrester expects that in the U.S., ad spending is going to decline by 25% over the year and will take years to recover from there. So there's a lot to tackle here, but Mark, let's get your thoughts on whether companies should still be focusing on advertising and marketing and, and what kind of factors do they need to consider when they're looking at that? What's the fix? Sure. Let's just start with taking one shot at somebody. Did you say Forrester? Because they are known at just making great predictions that uh, hold true for years and years. Uh, I'm sure we could all remember uh, going back to the beginning of the internet age. But they're not wrong to say that it will take a while to recover. Uh, so there, there's some stats that we reviewed, and we have worked a lot uh, for uh, advertising companies. And so we're familiar with the trends uh, at my company of the shift from uh, traditional media to online. And one of the uh, things that we see now is that, as you would expect, both the total level of advertising has come down and the shift to online channels has accelerated. Uh, Because, you know, people are not necessarily doing out of home if people are not going to be out of home to look at a billboard or a transit stop or whatever it is. So uh, that's happening. 
And uh, the net impact, even to the online channels, is negative. And that's because people have less to spend because they have less revenue. And you have a lot of traditional cha- uh, businesses who are advertising on Google and on Facebook. And the way it works for Google, for those who don't know, is that uh, buying AdWords on Google is what we call in finance a very efficient market because you know it's always bid up to the maximum price that someone will pay. It's not a sales game. You know, it's a marketplace and you buy and then depending on who else is buying, the, the price gets bid up. And because fewer businesses can afford it, the actual bid, bid price of many AdWords on Google has gone down and their revenue has gone down. So people are shifting to online, but their total ad spend is going down more than that. Google's not doing well. Facebook is not growing. Uh, They're still projected to grow, I think, this year, but not by nearly as much as they were going to. And that's just because businesses don't have the budget that they did. And many businesses are not advertising because it's just not the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot to consider uh, when you think about it. There are still channels that you can advertise in that are efficient. And I would have said this before COVID and now. So radio is one of those channels that everybody assumes is quite traditional. Uh, and, you know, people would have called for radio to be dying at the same pace as, let's say, newspapers, but actually it's not. It can be a very efficient tool, especially for local businesses. Uh, now, radio is a little bit linked to driving, and so radio will probably come back more as people start going to work more. Um, but I think the main thing I want small businesses to think about is to be very specific about who you're marketing to, what you're marketing. So take your customer segments and you don't have to, you know, hire a consulting company and do a fancy survey, although we'd love it. Um, But um, uh, if you could afford it, but uh, think about who you're marketing to, who are the different customer segments you have and the different occasion segments you have, right? And so I may be one person, but I am a different occasion segment when I'm going to the grocery store for my weekly uh, order versus uh, to run in and get something, right? So think about your different customer in, in terms of their people, who they are, and what they're coming for. Then think about what you want to market to them. Based on who they are, what do you really want to tell them? What do you want to tell them in general to build your brand, which generally speaking has reduced in terms of uh, their percentage versus activation or promotion, which is I have something that's a great offer. I want you to do it now. Mm-hmm. And then when you've figured out who you're marketing to and what you're telling them, do what the agencies do. So in the agencies that buy media, they have a media planner. What they do is they think about your customers and they think about the day that they go through. So all the things that that customer is going to do in a day and think about when during that day do you actually want to give them an ad? When do you think that they're going to be in the best position to actually receive a message and act on it? And again, since more advertising today is promotional or activation, I have something I want you to do it now. Think about, you know, depending on what you sell, when and where do you think that customer is when they want to receive that ad? So if you're Coca-Cola, you will hire publicists and give them $30 million a year to do all that work for you. If you are a small store, do that work for yourself in an informal way and just be very deliberate about uh, where you're spending your ad dollars and again, what you want your consumers to do. Right. Um, and so, I mean, as, as we go forward and have more reopenings, should that become, because I know it was set to the sidelines for many businesses. Do you think businesses should uh, get back to that marketing and, and start 
refocusing some of their efforts on that. Carefully. So if you're doing brand building, which is just general awareness about who you are and what your offering is, you have to be careful about doing brand building during this downtime if you're not open or not really open, because there may be too too long a lag between when you're actually building information in the consumer's mind about who you are and then asking them to act on it. And so if you're brand building now and you're not going to be open for three months, the brand building will, will have an, uh, an efficacy that goes down. So you want to be doing your brand building and then say, okay, remember everything I told you about me? Now I want you to do this. And so they have to be careful about that lag. Uh, and I think they also need to think about making sure they're directing their advertising at the people who are more likely to act on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you're reaching the right audience. And as you mentioned at the right time, figure out when you want to do that. Um, Okay. Somewhat related to this topic um, is, is a type of marketing that experiential marketing Uh, we've kind of touched upon it uh, on some episodes on the show. Um, But, and another aspect of that too is uh, experiential shopping. I think over the last few years, and I know your thoughts on this, we've heard a lot about the so-called retail apocalypse and what this means for bricks and mortar stores. So we've seen a big shift towards uh, providing some kind of experience for customers uh, and an incentive essentially to bring them into stores. I think about uh, Canada Goose as an example. They opened a store in Toronto and have actually are going to be reopening it. Um, I think they might have already. It's where you can go in and try on their very pricey parkas in a cold room. There's even a room that has snow, I believe, and you can see whether it's worth that investment. Um, But, you know, things have changed in the coronavirus pandemic. People will still go into the stores, but in different numbers. So for companies that still want to focus their efforts on that, uh, what should they be doing given what's the, how the coronavirus pandemic has changed things what's the fix there i always love talking about canada goose and i think <laughs> that if canada goose uh management was watching they would think i'm slamming them when i say over and over again they'd sell a 400 dollars parka for 1200 dollars and make people feel good about it and i'm not slamming them what i'm actually saying is they've recognized that there's some value in the good that you're buying and there's some value in the way that you're buying it Now, again, if you're cynical like me, you'd go into the cold room and you'd look around and you'd know what the rent is at Yorkdale and you'd say, no wonder they're charging me $1,200 because they have to charge me $1,200 to pay for this. Uh, But actually, most people like going through that experience. Uh, And I'm happy that you mentioned that it is an extension of marketing because there's experiential Mm -hmm. marketing like shows and live events, which can't go on. And so I think people need to focus the experience now in the areas where they can. So you will not have the opportunity to do experiential marketing or experiential shopping. So again, they're, they're sort of, they're, they're very linked um, with as many people as you used to. But in a way, that's a good thing because what it'll force you to do is make sure that you focus on quality over quantity. So if and I say quality, I mean the quality of the person you're actually targeting and I said the quality of the person, not that they're a good or bad person. They're a high quality target for you if they're more likely to act on whatever marketing you're sending to them and the quality of whatever you're doing. And so if you think about it, you know, I talked about Harry Rosen doing mm-hmm. appointments in their store. You talk about Canada Goose. There are lots of other high end retailers. Um, 
if you're making appointments, the person who's going to want to invest the time to come to that appointment is actually a, a, a high likelihood target. And so that's good. And then when you have them, I would be less fussed about how much time you spend in the appointment or how much you actually spend on the snow or whatever it is you can give them during that appointment. Or if you're Harry Rosen, you know, you have an appointment with somebody, it's 45 minutes. It doesn't matter if you make them an espresso or a latte or give them a Perrier or whatever it is you do for them. What's most important is that you focus the experience on the people who are most likely to act on it. And if you're a higher end retailer or a higher end purveyor of goods, whatever you, whatever you do, uh, then you have the margin. So this is where to spend the margin. And this is where to justify, uh, this is where to justify the price that you charge for your goods, whether it's, you know, uh, Peloton, right. you think about the experience. So they have an experience in store, which is decent. I don't think it's that great because a lot of people will buy it online and get it delivered. But the experience, I mean, is you can't really extricate the experience from the product because what you're actually buying is again, a $300, I'm sorry, a $500 bike that they're charging 3000 for. So the multiple is greater than with Canada Goose. Um, but you're not really buying that. You're buying the ability for somebody to replicate a class setting at home and have people that they compete with and track. And it's so motivating. And so it's the experience, but it's actually also a different product because people will tell you that they're going to get better fitness results if they use the Peloton than if they use the inexpensive bike that I happen to buy for my right because I'm so what about what about um companies that are not necessarily those luxury or higher end retailers I, I know the examples that we've mentioned are in that group but um we are we have been seeing all sorts of brands and companies doing kind of that experiential marketing and shopping should those kind of perhaps not luxury companies be looking at that as well this is going to sound hokey, but I think it's true and I believe it, even if it's not. There are many, many small things that you could do when you're dealing with people that are free. And uh, again, I know this may sound hokey. When you're operating a retail store, whether it's a convenience store at the corner or Sporting Life or Canada Goose or Harry Rosen, the way that you or your staff interact with your clients is so important. And I'm a big believer that whenever you're in the service profession, and the reason that I rant when I get a bad service experience is that when if you're in the service profession, whatever you do, there is no excuse to not be super friendly with your customers. And that's the most basic thing. When you're hiring people, don't hire people who are looking for a job, hire people for whom it is a pleasure serving people. And hire and when you're dealing with your customers, remember to show them appreciation. And guess what? A smile is free. And so you start there and then think about all sorts of other little things that you could do to enhance somebody's experience. So I think, think about... now we're going to be thinking a lot about, uh, you know, PPEs and cleanliness and and how comfortable people do end up making customers feel when they do come into their stores. Think about a clean bathroom. So <laughs> I, when I'm on the road, uh, if I have a choice between stopping at a McDonald's or a Tim Hortons, I'm sure everybody's going to guess you always stop at the McDonald's because their bathrooms are always clean. It's part of the experience. Tim Hortons depends on the day, depends on the location. Okay. How much more expensive <laughs> is it? I don't know, but it matters. All right. Uh, well, I guess we'll leave it there at the Tim Hortons bathroom. That's, oh, there you that's, go. 
that's all the time we have for today. Mark, thank you so much for our conversation. Um, if you want to rewatch this episode or read the latest economic news about the coronavirus pandemic, please visit Yahoo Finance Canada's website and make sure you check out the Crisis Management Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you like us and subscribe. Uh, and if you have any feedback for the show or want to tell us about your business, uh, you can get in touch with me and email me. I'm at alicja at yahoofinance.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.